0: Hey, hey, what's up, everyone? This is Mike Parks, the host of Intersecting Ideas. This is a podcast dedicated to talking about life and culture, engaging friends, finding out what their likes or dislikes or beliefs, and then engaging in a conversation. Regardless if we agree on the topic or not, but opening up the discussion for literally civil discourse. In this podcast, we're going to talk about questioning Christianity. And I brought on a very long term friend for 20 some years, Bill McGoey, and we're going to talk about how he came to the point of confessing evangelical faith for over a decade, and then where he is now and how he has transitioned away from those beliefs. So, with that as an intro, Bill's going to tell his story. I'm going to engage. We're going to ping pong a lot of ideas back and forth. I would like to welcome Bill to the show. Bill, welcome to uh, Intersecting Ideas. What's Hello, up, Mike? Bill?
1: <laughs> let's pretend we haven't spoken in 20 years.
0: Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Bill, fill us in. You're retired, so let's paint the picture for the audience so they know who you are.
1: Yeah, Bill Magoey here up in Alaska, live in Juneau, it's the uh, state capital. And I got here via the Coast Guard the first time I came. But uh, I grew up in New York, born in 1969, graduated high school in 1987, went in the Air Force, and then spent a lot of years raising a family, going to college, doing it the hard way, because about halfway through that gig, uh, almost to the end, actually, I decided to swap over to the Coast Guard. It was after 9-11, was a chance to get into law enforcement. Um, So I rolled over into that side of the house and did another 15 years. So I went all the way up to 2018, retired from the Coast Guard as a commander and lived in Colorado at that time, strangely, in the Coast Guard. It's another story. Um, And then my wife-
0: weed, the weed metropolis at the time, right?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they were, they were one of the first to legalize it. Um, yeah, It magically didn't become a, a den of hedonism any more than it already was. As far as Christian stuff, I was not raised a Christian. Typical New York stuff. My mom comes from, both, well, both parents actually from a very, I mean, not very religious background. So dad would have been technically Catholic because that's how he was kind of born. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a inherited thing especially on the East Coast. You don't come to your religion, it comes to you, I think. Uh, so he was Catholic, but his mom was Lutheran, his dad was Catholic, so they didn't really go to church that much.
0: We have some but, parallels there. in a Sicilian family, and of course, by default, what, you're Roman Catholic. So we were kind of like nominal, young age, but then kind of nominal and then just kind of dropped off later on. Sorry, go ahead. Keep going.
1: But neither one of my parents was really religious in any way, shape, or form. I think my dad had a type of spiritualism where he believes in you know the man upstairs you know and you know we got an understanding and i'm like okay whatever that means <laughs> and i really didn't have anything growing up except uh friends i went to church with once in a while catholic or protestant whatever they were mostly catholics and then uh, as a young man i kind of looked into some stuff while i was in the air force reading anything i could about spirituality some celtic stuff some weird druid stuff looking into all these different backgrounds of religions and was like huh cool whatever you know i want to drink i want to run after girls i want to make a little money to whatever you know i'm living overseas didn't really have a lot of interest in going to church or finding god or anything like that
0: how did that stuff impact your beliefs about the world and the way you saw things at that time was there any (laughs) grid that you had or it was just kind of hey this is interesting in your shell the ideas?
1: I found it interesting. I hadn't really explored that side of either, you know, myself or the world itself. I hadn't really looked at it as far as like scholastics. We did, you know, it was very secularized growing up. So was, we did science, we did history. We did some humanities stuff we didn't even do back then. It wasn't even like a world religions till I got to college.
0: You were that, going to say you met Penny before I did, interject it there.
1: Well, yeah. So, I mean, no, I, I mean, your question is, you know, that's a good one. I mean, how did it impact me? I think it kind of intrigued me, like, reading about, like, Celtic religion because I'm, I'm from an Irish background ostensibly. So it, it was interesting to me. It kind of was also a little mystical. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. ooh, yeah, I'd be a druid or whatever the hell the thing I was reading at the time was. <laughs> but I think, you know, everybody's kind of – forming their own kind of concept of the world still at 17 18 19 years old very much right and so that was where i was at at that age i met penny we were both kind of into the party lifestyle met her through some friends in the marine corps you know we were fast friends but by the time we were like three or four months into dating she was pregnant so i was like oh shit well this is a you know, we didn't know what to do. And so we were kind of like a little freaked out in order to get married. We had to go to a class the military put on that. You had to go to like the chaplain's class. And it wasn't about religion. It was about relationships. It was fairly secular. And they do a very kind of ecumenical kind of nod to religion in the military. They don't want to go either way. And we went to that. I was like, okay, that was, that was cool. Whatever. They're going to let us get married. But she had a, a warrant officer, guy's name was warrant officer benjamin so that was a pretty big deal to us because we were lowly enlisted people and he was a very senior guy he was from trinidad he's from the islands you know very much sounded like a jamaican guy he was very very slow very speech was very calm he was he just drew you in you know you're like oh i just want to know what this guy's saying it's got to be cool right very nice guy he told penny one day he said "Well, i know you're pregnant you're not sure if you should keep the baby, right? And she had like discussed this with some of her chain of command. She wasn't sure what she should do. She barely knew me, blah, 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 you know, a few months. And he was like, go home and sit down with your boyfriend and ask your the question, does your child, does your baby have a soul? And what does that mean? And we're like, Pfft. Bruh, where do you – there's no Google right now. There's no – there's no internet. I can't go to Wikipedia. So you were
0: out Webster's and looking up the word soul. What do people what is really it?
1: think a soul? <laughs> and I'm like, where, where am I going to get something that I can read like this in Okinawa, Japan? I don't have my library from growing up. I don't have my, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica here. So the only way to do it was to like, okay, well – get a bible look through it she had some religion in her background you know grandma was pretty religious went to church etc and a little more traditional that way um but penny wasn't really raised by her parents to go to church either so we we did digging and just a you know good old like king james or an niv or whatever the heck we could get our hands on type bible at the time and he kind of was kind of discipling a little. It was, was very subtle. I didn't recognize it at the time. So we, we did a lot of that. And he would ask her another question every day, like, you know, what happens when you die? He's he just making us go look for stuff. He wasn't assigning anything. I hadn't even met him at this point. And she's coming back to me going, like this guy, and he's telling me to do this stuff. And I'm like, okay, whatever, man. I'll, I'll sit down, I'll read through the Bible. I'm like, huh, mm-hmm. never knew what it said. Didn't know anything about it. Oh, look. Now, this is about, you know, the Old Testament. Oh, that's all like, that's all Jewish stuff, I guess, right? And this up here is all Catholic stuff. I mean, that's literally what I was thinking at the time. I didn't know beans about the Bible. So uh, that's how we kind of started to come into spirituality, when it, any kind of Christian sense to it. You know what I mean?
0: So that's where it started. Now, how far after that would you say you came and said, okay, I'm embracing I embrace uh, the Christian faith because when I met you, you know, you yeah. were a homeschool family, conservative in thought with five children. And
1: now you got to say the it, year is like 2002 or exactly, three, yeah. probably something like that, mm-hmm. right? so that. That's 10, 12 years later yep. from what I'm describing as my, you know, first contact. He was a seventh day Adventist. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No shit. Right. So here it is, <laughs> super conservative, and that religion is just a little bit bonkers in my brain. Uh, it, I, at the time, I was like, "Oh, the way they the way they introduced us to kind of their faith with those questions, and then, hey, come hang out with us. You guys that like, need family around you, they feed you. You know, they're they're weird to me because they're vegetarians. You know, and I'm like, oh, this is gonna suck. We're gonna be eating salads all day long, and these." People are gonna bump me over the head with a fucking Bible. It's gonna be crazy, man. I don't. I don't. Want to, I don't want to do this. I went. Guy was great. You know, very soothing personality. Very <laughs> not in your face. I started going to their church, and, and they're very, very, very heavy on Daniel, Ezekiel. You know, all the prophetic books. All the kind of what seemed to me to be this doomsday ish type shit. Where I'm like. I mean, this is kind of depressing. I mean, it's like, Jesus, this is horrible. Like this is, I started to ask questions like, okay, well, so I get it. But it's like four books you keep preaching out of. What about these other ones? Because I've, re- I've been starting to read the New Testament. I'm like, there's all this stuff about grace and, you know, love and, pe- you know, accepting people and Jews and Gentiles. And I'm like, that resonates with a Jew Catholic background. I'm like... We can bring this all together That could be love but they were very much you know pulling back from society you know cloistering away don't get defiled because jesus is coming back or i got this sense that this is a, a little cultish and, and you know i'm not super comfortable with this she's like oh okay and she's like why and we started talking about it. she's like yeah that's all they do seem to talk about huh and this it was
0: you actually brought up a valid point on what is taught on historic Christianity, and that is most people will focus on the exclusivity of Christianity, like the one way. But you alluded to the inclusivity, so that it goes out to all people, and it's a wider net. So you transitioned out of that. The seventh day of Venice, obviously. So and you landed-
1: basically, we, you know, we had a built-in timeline because when you're stationed overseas, you're not staying forever. And Penny had to make a choice to keep the baby or not, and then to keep her career or not. So we just decided, hey, this, uh, this this kind of religion thing, this one, is really not what we're looking for. We like the spirituality aspect. We like the family-oriented things. We don't know how to raise kids, and this would really help us raise kids. So we moved, you know, after we got back to the States, we moved to Nebraska, and we looked for churches, and we found a Baptist church, but they didn't want to let Penny breastfeed there because they're like, you're going to make other the men stumble. And she's like, well, isn't their problem if they're freaking out? Cause I have a baby under a blanket nursing. Isn't that kind of their problem? Pastor, but they were like these, you know, there were people who wore like long dresses down to their ankles. Gotcha. And you, you ended 90.
0: up in a fundamentalist church,
1: <laughs> but, you know, but it was Baptist. And I was like, I didn't know that was a fundamentalist church. And then we chopped over to the next one in town. So it was a tiny little town Nothing turns out to be Assembly of God. I mean, I'm making the rounds here, brother. I oh, wow. Making...
0: You went from one extreme to another. Brother. I mean, it, in tired. contrast, contrasting between the two, that is.
1: <laughs> so we get to this Assemblies of God church in this tiny little town called Plattsmouth, Nebraska. It literally has one main street, seven, eight, nine miles from the base. And that was the only place we could afford a rent. And there was.
0: Yeah, that's not happening today.
1: We got into the Assembly of God, and this guy named Kim Robarge. And Kim had gotten back from Africa as an evangelist over there slash missionary. He was guitar playing, 70s hippie, Jesus movement kind of dude, man. He had never left. He had never left that time period, man. Really loved it. I love the music. I love the deep, passionate worship. It really kind of resonated with me. And we kind of liked that, but it was the same at all those churches. There was always this thing kind of rose up on my back of my neck after a while. Like, you know, I feel like we're just what you're saying, or I would say they're saying doesn't match up as well with the stuff I'm reading as it should or could. And maybe it's just because I'm not really a Christian, you know, and I'm a bad person and I'm questioning authority because I got that a lot. Not, not yet at these churches because I was still young and impressionable, but I, I always got the sense that I was not ever quite fitting into this paradigm of church versus the spirituality. I loved the idea of the surrender and the the praying and the stuff they did in, in the uh, assemblies of God. I thought it was really touching, and uh, you know, it really worked for me. Um, and they were very Bible focused, and I was like, "Cool! I don't have to go to college. I don't have to be a Catholic freaking priest to." read some Tome of Knowledge from some uncanonized thing to to get special knowledge. I can just read this Bible, live my life, and things are going to be great. This God is going to come down and and take care of shit for me. And even if things are going badly, he loves me.
0: I think your story so far, Bill, is very reminiscent of a lot of people's experiences. You you see this myriad of churches, myriad of buildings where people are gathering, and each one of them is like kind of this stovepipe. They're not very connected. One could be a Pentecostal, one could be a fundamentalist, and you step in those environments and they're drastically different and people are trying to sift and weigh through those things. When I was younger, I I didn't have very good grid on, you know, the essentials. What were the essentials? What were secondary, what were tertiary? Understanding that grid is how not to be a jerk and how to actually love on people. (laughs) If you have that (laughs) right structure in, in play, you know, you know what to give up and what to move forward on. Just wanted to point that out. When did in the spectrum did you say, okay, I am confessing that I believe that salvation is by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. When did that come about in this?
1: You know, I felt like I was honestly looking for the truth, a real spirituality through this from the beginning. When I could say I feel like I was believing in salvation through Jesus, not completely probably until... Assemblies of God Church in early 90s, that was the first time I'd say I was really committed to this walk of faith and the best I could, understanding that it was this free gift that I couldn't really earn. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that what you're saying?
0: Yep. Yeah, that's where I was getting at. I want to piggyback on something you just mentioned that you wanted to know what was true. And I think that the grid for understanding what is true and what is false, the same logical principles that we apply to to physics, to math, to any rational thinking should be applied to any religious. So I think in, in the structure of evaluating things, that faith and reason go hand in hand. And it should come out to be a rational belief, right, that is backed by reason, but it doesn't go against it. But I also believe that those that even are outside of a, any type of religious structure, even a secular uh, structure, or maybe humanist, they actually have what I would consider a combination of faith and reason as well, trying to look at things rationally, like personally, uh, socially, rational into intuition, they're taking all those factors into play and there's an element of faith to some of that as well. So I think that might be a good way to view all people's perspective. Now the question, you have to step back and say, ultimately, as you alluded to, is this true? Is what I'm embracing true? Is it logically cohesive? Is it rational? Does it correspond to reality? and then move forward with that set of beliefs if it is such. If it's not, you know, toss that crap out the window. Who, knows, who wants that?
1: I think that we would probably differ there just because I was not approaching this as any kind of academic study. I wasn't approaching it as a search for logical truth at the time. So I think my perspective mm-hmm. was more one of, You know, I have, I'm a person of, you know, feelings and passions and and desires. I think that I was not trained in logics very heavily early on in my life. I don't think I was, I wasn't trained in rhetoric really. I wasn't always trying to get to a solution that would be acceptable to anybody else because I don't, I personally don't worry very much about how anybody else views my thoughts, feelings, or beliefs. And and I'm very much private in a lot of ways about those. And And I feel like it would never be mine to question theirs because I look at, like, in all of history, all of humanity, and of all the humanity that exists today, this is my current way of looking at things. I don't believe anybody has a great corner on the market on the right spiritual answer, the right path, so to speak, to God. Because I also have a very different viewpoint now than I did as a 20-year-old, even Mm -hmm. as a 30-year-old, and even as a 40-year-old, as to what my thoughts on God really are, and how valid they are, and how much it really matters. And I don't know if that's just background, my experience, or a phase of life now that I'm in my 50s, you know, I, I don't I don't really know. But I, I don't have the, the desire or need to catalog it, critique it, and make sure it makes sense. What I did know that was in the smaller context of what somebody was trying to preach to me, generally, at any one of these churches at any given time, the word that I decided when I started doing this, you know, faith journey that, If this is what Christians, which is ostensibly the smartest thing for me to be based on where I live, my background, strangely, potentially even my genetics. I mean, everything points to I probably shouldn't be doing Zen Buddhism. Do I not believe in that? Not necessarily. I don't also necessarily discredit it, but I'm an American born in the 20th century, and I live in a country that is... Very much has a you know, a lot of Christian faith movements in it over the over the years, and I never really felt like I had to get to the logical, quote unquote, truth of it because I don't think that that is the same as faith, and I don't think that's the same as spirituality, and I think that's where you and I, of course, have differed on this. I think in past discussions, I don't, I don't think that one is required for the other, but I do believe that like in Greek and Roman thought and all those classical pursuits, there hopefully is a best argument, a logical conclusion, and quote-unquote truth, right? Yeah. I just don't if know it, that I ever felt that way in my spiritual walk.
0: Personally. Yeah, what's actually interesting is what you're pointing out is Similar to what I experienced, so I grew up as nominal Catholic kid, and then later on, I began looking at Christianity and Christians as just kooks. I didn't, you know, I was just like, ah, oh, these people are crazy. I'd go, to, I went to some. You some weren't hyper- wrong
1: about a lot of it. I,
0: I some, some are. <laughs> so I went to this, like this hyper Pentecostal church one time. I was like, what is going on in this place? I, I couldn't. I had no grid to think through this. I was young, and I. All these things were happening, but it wasn't for me when I was younger, 23, began after all this, you know, looking at Christians is crazy, began to hear the gospel preached, but there was this undergirding of my own heart. Like I recognized it wasn't logical syllogisms and arguments that drew me. It was the recognition that I understood that there was things that were right. There were things that were wrong and I could not eradicate that from my heart and I knew that. I had lived life on the wrong side of the, of the tracks <laughs> on many fronts. And that was part of the undergirding of what led me to become a believer. And it was the aspect of, okay, the gospel is received by God's grace through faith because of Christ's finished work for salvation to atone for sin. And I was like, you know what? I can't stand before a holy God and justify myself. So I'm gonna place my faith on Christ and what He's done. So I mean that was the the core of me of what kind of led me there. Now stemming out of that came conversations where I was asked to be in charge of small little Bible studies in, in like high schoolers. And this one young woman says I'm a deist and my, I'm sitting there and I'm supposed to be leading the conversation. And I said, and I thought, what in the world is a deist? I had no idea. And I said, you know what? I will never let this happen again. And that's when I went on and began reading. So, you know, a myriad of everything under the sun. I read very broadly now, uh, no matter what religion or belief. Um, But (laughs) I would say that when I talk about Christianity, it's historic Christianity. It's not like I'm making this stuff up. This is what has been taught through the centuries, right? And I believe that it is a, when I say it's reasonable and logical, what I mean is that throughout history we have had arguments that point towards this, like there is no uncaused cause, right? Even the Stoics, Lucretius would, would argue that there's no uncaused causes. He, he, you know, even back in that, but he turns into atomism, things like that. But then you see Aristotle, he picks up on the same kind of thinking about a creator. And so does Augustine on throughout centuries that point towards the existence of God. But I think one of the most powerful one is like, is the fact that we live in the world that is governed by God and he puts us here and that he gives us that understanding of like there's an aspect of what has been stamped on all of us, this image of God, so that we can recognize certain aspects of things are right and certain certain aspects of things are wrong, which is what I was originally was kind of undergirding me at the time before I became a believer.
1: Yeah, I would say that my experience when you in the first part of your your comments uh, after the question was very similar. I think that, you know, I didn't know how to make up for the fact that I was like a little bit of a pain in the ass as a kid or (laughs) wanted to make bad decisions or was always just getting in trouble. And that, yeah, God had a better way. This Word of God, this Jesus, this forgiveness—these were all mechanisms by which I could be kind of redeemed. But I—I I would also say that you probably would have gotten some of that by being a man until you were thirty. In a lot of cases, you wouldn't have gotten the God part of it, but you would have grown out of your bullshit because you were already searching for it, right? You were—you were going to see to church. Well, if you got done that, you go to college, you get a job. You get a family, not going to cure you from sin, but you're not going to go out necessarily on the street late at night and break people's mailboxes down because you think it's funny, right? You're going to mature. You're going to grow. You're going to expand.
0: How'd you know I did that?
1: <laughs> because I did.
0: Yeah, so did I. <laughs> so functionally, right? Yes, we all grow up. There should be a transition of, of someone that, that comes to faith and is confessing something, but it doesn't mean that they're better in the long run, and young age, young growth things, but positionally is where I think the rubber meets the road. So positionally comes back to like, if you have a belief in God that has created and is good and is judge and just, then how does one stand before a God like such? And that might transition the conversation. You know, I would have to better understand where you are and what you believe on these things. And then we can can engage further on that. Yeah. But I want to intertwine your story too, because everyone loves a good story.
1: The beginning of my story, I'm sure, is very similar to a lot of people, you know, not raised with religion that come to it in their young adulthood, and especially anybody who did this in the late eighties, early nineties, there's a big Christian movement out there. This is withdrawing back because of this terrible, you know, liberal society that was picking up by cocaine fueled consumption and families falling apart and the end of the nuclear family. We need new Gingrich to come save us in 1990, something, you know, and that was the whole fucking thing. That was the whole, you know, it was a big wrap together with a lot of the church folks I went with. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I mean, my kids listened to this guy from focus on the Family's little fun, little pod not podcast, but they were CDs, right? Tapes and CDs. They so had, you know, Adventures in Odyssey. You ever listen to those? No, Just yeah, kids? yeah,
0: yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. I thought James Dobson was a sounded like a loving, sincere, good dude who wanted nothing more than for people to have a rich, whole family life, right? I dug that stuff, man. I was like, hey, this is the exact opposite of what I was raised with. You know, dad grabbing you, putting you up against the wall with your feet dangling, like, I'm going to kick your ass if you don't straight now. It's like, oh, loving God, oh, you know, that's not the <laughs> God I grew up with, right? You know? Mom, like, ah, Jesus, you're going to end up like your father or your brother. You don't want to be a fucking loser. I'm like, well, I don't <laughs> want to be a loser. That's right. Well, these guys represented something. You know, they represented to, especially people like me in the military and people who didn't really have any understanding of how to raise a family. It was like, God, these guys have some answers. I'm going to listen to this guy. I'm going to listen to radio. i listen to Charles Stanley and go, this guy's voice sounds like somebody's nice old grandfather. So, you know, you're getting all these inputs. In not quite what we have now, the media age, but even through radio, emails, and, and books and stuff, I would read to try to get a handle on what does it mean to be a man. What does it mean to be a man in this day and age? How do I be a better father? How do I be a better husband? I never felt worthy as a child. I never felt like I was good enough or I mattered or whatever. You know, the military, you know, the church, a relationship with you know God, all represented. Trying to get to a place of almost strangely self acceptance, right? You know, for me, you know, feeling like I don't have a clue. I need a clue. I'm way too young for this shit. I don't know how to raise a family at 20 years old. I don't know how to keep a career going. I don't know how to go to mm-hmm. college. And, you know, I have to do all these things at the same time. And I'm like,
0: yeah, you and I were both similar boats in there. I mean, we were babies having babies. You know, Ashley at the time was 19. I was 21. Yeah. You know, we're assembling the plane as we're flying it, you know, so to speak, for life,
1: to a degree, yeah. And I, you know, yeah. but I, you know, Mike, I, I've had a lot of things that happened during that time. I very rarely was able to get settled into a place for too many years, literally physically, because we would, I would get Moving. called to go move somewhere else, or something else would come up. You know, a new college experience, and I would have to transition to that's my focus. I was hoping, to a degree, church and this, you know, faith and the, the fam- extended family of church would help with the struggles I had, including, you know, figuring out how to raise a family. And mm-hmm. to a degree, they didn't. I was going to say, I wouldn't have known that that yeah. was, I guess I went in very pie eyed almost and hoping that, shit, these are so much different than the people I know. These have got to be good people, right? I got my eye off the ball on things and, you know, my kids didn't have the best childhood experience I, I thought they would have. And they're trying to unfuck themselves literally from the trauma of church and stuff at times. And it's, it's tough because I went to some churches that were super unhealthy. And I didn't really have a good barometer for them when I was in them. And I always thought, this is going to be different. Here's the signs I'm looking for. And there would be different signs. I missed the signs again of horrible, like self centered, business minded, shit that churches can really be where it's bro, this is just a family business. You know, you're you've got your son coming up to be the pastor. You've got your, you know, buddy over here on the council of elders. And it's like it's just felt like a business. It felt it just got worse and worse for me the farther along I went to the point where I was like, I have very few people who I'd say would be this person. I felt like they were they were true and honest and in in deep leadership in a church that I could still respect, you know. 30 years mm-hmm. later, and there's a few of them. Yeah.
0: One thing that I want to highlight is that when we think about truth and when we think about if something is real, what we have to do in evaluating things are we need to separate the actions of somebody that confesses they believe something and if what they're confessing is true, because one's belief or lack of belief has no bearing on whether something is ultimately true. And that's really hard to disjoin when there is emotions there. There is relationships when you have people in leadership who hurt people. But ultimately, I think to step back and say, okay, is the belief system as a whole, is that objectively true? I think that applies to any and all faiths. When it comes to relationships, broken in several relationships, that regardless of what one person believes or doesn't.
1: I think there may there be, there's also a bit of an assumption there. So for me if i were to at any point along that walk i had been questioned whether i thought that there was verifiable truth in the fact that like jesus had lived i would have said yeah absolutely he he lived jesus was a teacher absolutely jesus did miracles well i think so i wasn't there i've never seen too many miracles but who am I to say they didn't happen, right? I would have thought... There was times when I was like, no, all of this is true, man. This is the best. This is great. But there's always a part of my brain that's like you said. Okay, well then, logically, what's happening here? A miracle is what? Mm-hmm. This is supernatural. I just know that so much of religion and so much of faith is, I guess, an amalgam of like this deep-seated desire inside of us to want to believe, and people wanting us to believe, and then things we cannot possibly verify. I cannot possibly travel back 2,200 years to see what happened. I can't do all these things I'd like to do. I can't do that. So I have to take it on faith. That's what faith is, not logic, not any other thing, faith. And faith isn't something that you have to go to a course to necessarily acquire. If I were to talk about The differences for me between whether something was absolutely true, verifiable, or whether I had faith in it, I feel like they're completely different discussions for me. And I I understand what you're saying, I think. I don't know how you get there with something that um, you cannot physically, chemically, or otherwise measure other than things through writing and and histories passed down. Mm-hmm. it just it'd be tough. So I think For we, me, it'd be a, lo- a bit of a stretch.
0: I'm totally following you here. So I think we would have to first pinpoint what specifically we're referring to. Like, are you referring to the existence of God himself or are you referring to the miraculous? I don't think
1: that I will, or, I will stand before God in the sense that the Bible and a lot of faith leaders teach will occur. This white robe thing will be anything other than, we go beyond the veil, what happens? If you're, say you're Buddhist or Hindu or, everybody thinks when you die, something happens. Some part of you, not measurable or observable, maybe continues on. Well, it seems to me, the science, the truth, the things that we can theorize, test, and try to evaluate is leaning more and more towards that. Yes, there's so much interaction between every tiny piece of the universe and particles and thoughts and these things we did, we thought before, now what's right around you is all that you impact and all that impacts you is only the things you can see and observe and measure. turns out there's scopes and instruments we don't have that once we start to theorize or develop them, we go holy shit, stuff's been interacting with us all the time. What we see is nothing like what this fly sees. Is nothing like what the, you know, I look at that kind of stuff and I go, there's something mystical and magical even about the quote unquote natural world. I believe that some part of us, the energy, the matter that we're made up of, it all goes back because of laws of conservation of mass and thermodynamics or whatever keeps going on. Does that mean I will stand in some weird throne stuff dipped in blood and i'm like ah, oh, you know i'm doing a hallelujah chorus that's just really hard for me to swallow anymore it was just it really was hard so, to ever swallow that portion of it that imagery that christianity brings to how we will all be you know resurrected and we'll all fly out of our graves and we'll meet in the sky or maybe you'll be okay. raptured depending on whichever church
0: let's take it let's take this i'm just thinking through this uh, let's take it one step at a time so It sounds like you're maybe a soft agnostic uh, on some of these. That you believe that there is a God, just not really certain on on as. Is this accurate?
1: Yeah, I I guess. I mean, I don't think that I've come down on
0: more on the spectrum on towards
1: would be atheism. Yeah, I don't know. You know, Mike. For me, I'm just. It's been a long time since I've gone to church. It's also been a long time since I would have said I feel like I'm walking a. Christian faith walk like this has been mm-hmm. a lot of years, um, a lot of weird abuses and just bullshit in yeah. churches towards my kids, towards my son specifically, as one of the last ones. And just lying, conniving kind of pastors. So I know they don't represent everybody, and they yeah. don't represent all leaders, but they were just doing enough that I have had too many interactions to want to be engaged and give. I was I was a tither for like twenty years, dude was giving my money thinking i'm going to help save the world and all this stuff and then people are going on mission trips to france and i'm like okay cool i think uh you know my if it's helpful
0: before you read that i'm just trying to put this in my mind together but it sounds like a lot of the transition away from christianity began through relationships through seeing failed leaderships through conflicts and that from that from those conflicts kind of you began to step away slowly over time, away from the belief system as a whole, and then questioning it. it. Was this kind of the progress?
1: Even inside of it, say now I'm in I'm in Nebraska, but it's like the late '90s, not the early '90s. I'm going to a different church. It's called Bellevue Christian Center, but you know what that means. It was the Bellevue Assembly of God before that. Similar worship. <laughs> I think a much nicer representation of uh, integrity um, in in trying to preach the word and handle finances in a way that I thought was, you know, for my sensibilities and my training in uh, handling classified material in the military, we handled the money from those services the same way. I was on an account team. I saw it done right, at least as it was counted in cash back then. Everything was cash and checks. <laughs> and it went right into a bank vault, and I, I saw how that was conducted. I was on the, and and I felt like these people were, as a leadership team, much more sincere. But they would still have Marilyn Hickey come and fucking wave her hanky over the, the choir and go, "If you give me a thousand dollars, I'll send you this hanky that's anointed with the oil of gladness." And I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" I mean, and like, yeah, that, I mean, I, in front of the in front of the stage, and I'm just like. What is, what are we doing? Like,
0: what's yeah. going on? You know, un- unfortunately, I think like gold teeth and and that white hankies uh, waving over you and over sensationalism has 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 been has been a a means of driving a, a big wedge between a lot of people. <laughs> I mean <laughs> that that know? stuff makes, it makes me cringe. <laughs> it
1: is. It's so cringy, and I think that even with like speaking in tongues, I, you know, I love this pastor. He was a great guy, and we go to the Sunday afternoon after church, we go to the Bible study and learn some more. We were in leadership, quote-unquote, you know, and I was like, hey, pastor, I get your belief of, you know, the real evidence is the second anointing of the Holy Ghost coming upon you. First, you confess Jesus, and then you're imbued with the Holy Spirit. Like, okay, a new set of rules at a new church. Let me, let me try to figure out how this works versus what I read in the Bible, right? And like, I was like, I have this mystical, great feeling, this energy of just passion pouring out for me when I worship. I feel like God's in fire in me. I feel good, you know? It's just, mm-hmm. Sometimes that feels really awesome. It's not all the time, but when I'm worshiping, damn, I'm just like, mm. And I'm like, but I don't speak in tongues and anybody breathing on me, pushing on me, blah, 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 blah over me. It doesn't help. And he's like, Brother, you just need to pray more. We love you, oh man. You know, so what? Am I a second class Christian and you're not gonna let me in your inner circle because I don't believe this? Like I would say these kind of things, like I would question it, and I would just get these looks like, oh, you know, oh, we love you. Man.
0: And, and, and love- you know, it's some of these some of these areas you're outlining are, I would say, more secondary issues within kind of in-house debates amongst a lot of Christians. However, it's unfortunate that the way that these unravel themselves can push a lot of people away and make you feel like a second-class citizen. Like you said, you know, I mean,
1: and my son-in-law love Robbie, but he's at like, uh, you know, whatever Brent is, I don't know what they're even considered non-denominational or whatever the hell they're associated with. Now I look at that and I go, okay, so how is that different if you're having meetings and you sound like a corporation. You're talking about how we get a bigger win, and then we're going to decide we need to have this big of a seat so that we can fit this many people this close because Americans don't want to be any closer than 24 inches. Let alone 18 inches. And you just killed it for me. I make fun of my Holy Spirit roller kind of bullshit religion that some is God, but that how is God being served? You know what's how is that like? I can't find a single church I've gone to where there isn't, basically you could do this better on your own with a couple of friends and what happens then? It becomes a cult. Or oh, what happens then? It becomes a <laughs> new fringe group. You, always do the thing. Like, you know, like we would go off and have a certain unnamed individual we're going to go worship at their house. God, isn't this yeah. a touching time for a small group? Oh, it turns out to be a weird swinger society. Woohoo! You know, the whole thing seems like a freaking sham. And then I start to go, okay, it isn't the I'm going to stand before God after I get zapped up to heaven and I go on forever playing a harp or I come back down here and I dominate the earth and I rule the earth because those other people didn't.
0: Yeah, there's plenty of charlatans, modern day and historical and every now and then you bump up against one in life, you know, one or two or three or four or whatever, maybe five, six, right? And you and I together, we yes, we have bumped up against some charlatans, that's for sure, who were manipulative, conniving, manipulative, and after their sexual gratifications, it was very unfortunate. Was However,
1: there's something else, man. There's something weird. Dude. That that was like weird, wormy, kind of <laughs> devilly, manipulative, kind of weird stuff. It, it was.
0: It was. There was something but else besides think, the sex. There. Yeah, the whole thing was weird. The charlatans don't dismiss whether something is true or not, right? I think that was the point I was making earlier. But you were going to read, so let's get back. You were about to read something that you had written down. This
1: thing now is even even is even more interesting than that. And I, and I you know, I don't want to mm-hmm. go away from this because here's the thing: the crux of what you're asking me is if you don't believe something you once believed, and this is this is me, not you. This right now I'm going to say is. Well, then you never believed. Your faith was never genuine, right? This is the kind of Christian knees that would get slammed down all the time. Well, if they fall away, they were never really with us, you know? And I think that's an oversimplification Mm of, is it true? Like, I feel like you could get and work logic, rhetoric, whatever it is, faith, take anything. You might be able to get the truth on it. You might be able to get to... Well, it's got to be logical, but based on, based on like what? Like when you say, like, I know you still believe and you are able to Mm -hmm. see it as truth and that it's unassailable. I feel like that can only be done inside of a closed system. Like the text you have, the experiences that happened in the last, if you include Judaism, okay, 3,000 years or whatever it's been, 2,000 years for Jesus slash, you know christian faith i honestly don't know how to get there in the way you're talking about i i, I haven't been able to and that's probably why i am where i am today mm-hmm. more based on like you know stoicism and some of these just what what can i control because i think bill feels like i can only control this tiny little universe right here inside my yeah. head in my space right
0: that in and of itself is one evidence to I believe, a God outside of ourselves. The fact that we are finite and so limited, we can control what? Our actions and our attitudes. What else can you control outside of that? That's basically it in the way we function in life. But I think that our limitations actually are a backdrop to Something larger. The fact that we understand right and wrong, there, there's a system in sense that is imposed upon us, and I say imposed because we, I believe that we live under God's domain, and because of that, we get to function in that. So that when I talk about things like something that's reasonable, something that's logical, I would say that we only understand logic and reason and rationality because without a logic giver, there is no logic. Without a law giver, there is no law. I would argue that way. I would also see this as cause and effect. There is no uncaused cause. And I think all these are, these are rational kind of arguments that point towards the existence of God. There's a myriad of, of them I could lean back on that do line up. I mean, I, I even think it lines up with like programming systems. The programming code that we write is logically structured, right? That structure had to come from somewhere. That structure is also applied on communications It's applied on on a myriad of principles. So that's just the existence of God. How do you take, you go from that, that doesn't lead you to Christianity, right? That's just argumentation for monotheism. But if you want to say, how do you verify other things like that were written years ago? Well, you do it the same way you would evaluate any ancient work from antiquity. You know, you would look at it and say, okay, when was it written? What's the time? What's the place? Are the people in this book, are there external writings about this. Did people contest what was written as a lie? So there's a lot of factors I think that go on to determining those things. You know, if you look at the book, you know, just take the book of Acts, right? You have four missionary journeys and you have the Apostle Paul going to a whole host of places, Asia Minor, Panthivia, and all these different places and locations. You and I could get into a plane, fly out, and see these actual locations. All these areas are discoverable today, and that is actually very unique. I mean, there's other world religions that do write like this, that have some recorded historical stance, but it is very unique. This is all verifiable still today. See
1: how it gets you to the to the existence of God or the. So I back so if I look yeah I, at need the, a, I might need to back up then. As if you were superimposing human. Capabilities and limitations to the logical or technological systems we've developed, based on a mind we have because of the way we have discovered things, we go ahead and structure these things in ways that make sense to us. But there's a lot of things where, even as hard as we try to discover them today, we don't understand, we can't conceive, but they're still there, right? And we can now we're starting to see evidences of things in whatever it may be, these, you know, sciences that push to the fringe of our perceptions, you know, theorizing about wormholes versus, you know, the concept of time travel, all these ideas, all these things that are conceivable, but not achievable for us, at least now, those will come to seem like commonplace if humanity were able to keep going, say another 10,000 years, 100,000 years, and we don't just destroy ourselves or become something else. I feel like what you're talking about is in the context of that couple of thousand of year bubble still, because because of what's observable on the outside of the closed loop of the faith that eventually became Christianity and then became our modern you know, version of this you know, religious movement, I don't see how that gets you to actually... Just because it's written down, just because I can go to Thessalonica today, you know, it was there anyway. It was going to be there anyway. The Greeks and the Romans had experienced these things in their own ways, with their own religions. And the more I read of the way the New Testament came to be, or the backgrounds of the Greek philosophies that then led to the Roman philosophies, that stuff existed whether Jesus was there or not. And if he never occurred, say, it wouldn't make them somehow not still valuable. Mm -hmm. Jesus not necessarily coming back down and like zapping all the bad people and lifting up all the good people, doesn't make me think he's not valuable either. I I don't see it as a zero sum game, but I feel like your discussion, it, it makes it sound logical, but it also seems like that's happening in a vacuum of you're already presupposing that things you're using to get there are kind of true. They may be verifiable more than something else, but there's a lot of discrepancy and there's a lot of doubt about multiple sources that feed to other multiple sources in the new Testament and on and on. And yeah. I don't think so, we know much past a hundred years ago, even if it's written in a paper, that doesn't mean Joe Schmo felt that way about it. It's just how it was written, right? You don't, you don't really get to the meat and the reality of what actually happened because we, we just want it there.
0: Well, that's why I was going back, and I'm not not just saying within one closed system. I was pointing back and saying that we would analyze the writings and the text the way we do anything through antiquity, right? And when it comes to biblical writings, like the New Testament has, I think, 27,000 uh I believe it's twenty-seven thousand manuscripts, or twenty-six. Uh, don't quote me on it, but it's pretty up there. It's more than anything else that we have. Dating is written closer than anything else we have. We have, we do have external sources like uh, Pliny the Younger, Flavius Josephus, a Jewish historian, Tacitus. You know, there's there's a there's a number of external people that confirmed the existence of Christianity. There is the, the manuscript evidence. There's the archaeology that backs it up. There is the aspect of what I would call, what we could say is predictive prophecy. Hundreds of years that things were predicted before they occurred. You know, Christ's crucifixion, the resurrection, all this stuff was predicted. You don't just take one of those things, right? And they don't just stand on their own. That's, that's it. I would say that when I say Christianity is a reasonable faith, I would say that you're taking all of that collectively as a whole, in argument that backs it as a reasonable faith. And that doesn't mean you throw your brain, you check your brain at the door. It's a reasonable faith. And there are, there's an element of things you cannot prove, obviously. Cannot say, okay, I've got everything written down here and I know X, Y, and Z, and I can prove emphatically all of these points. No, you can show reasonable arguments on why you believe they're true. I don't think you can necessarily lay them all out, although you can show a persuasive case.
1: Right. No, and I've, now I've read multiple apologetics and, and also you know, historical stuff. I did some archaeology classes in college. But I, I get the veracity of information following Jesus. I get the fact that some things were predicted that were put on to Jesus by people, that, things that came before in the writings. I don't see how that still gets you to well, that makes sense that there is a God that has this personality and we will stand before him one day. I, I don't, I don't go there. I can't, I, I've tried. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't get me there. Um, I, I've done a lot of, you know, wanting the handbook for the Bible, you know, and going through and trying <laughs> to understand these places and see them in their context. So let me ask reality into my brain of them, but I don't always go to a place where, well, that obviously proves this. Well, it doesn't, Prove any more than the fact that, you know, Marcus Aurelius lives. According to a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't make him God, right?
0: Yeah. So let me ask ask the question: You believe in things are some things are right and some things are wrong, right?
1: Uh, some things are right and some things are wrong.
0: Yeah. Do you believe things yeah. are right and? Yes. Okay. Yes, now right. the next question is: Where did you get that idea from?
1: Ugh, my mom and. My grandma, my military background, <laughs> the Bible, the teachings of, you know, the school system, neighbors I had so, did
0: something wrong,
1: I got punished for it.
0: So now let's 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 extract you out of that and put you somewhere away from those people. Do you still think you would have a grid for something being right and wrong?
1: I, I don't know. I know that if a Mama lion is by the water and her cub goes over near a crocodile. She comes over and smacks it away from it. Does that mean that that thing knows right from wrong or it knows what is been taught to it by its familial relations of this is good for you and this is bad for you. You may not like the fact that I just smacked you, but. <laughs>
0: you well, I mean, we're jumping into the animal kingdom outside of humans. Let's stick with humans. <laughs> I mean.
1: I don't. Well, you again you know, would we say that we're not the same thing. I, I don't see us as extremely different. I think there are some differences between us and most animals, but there's similarities as well. I don't think that we're that much different from every other thing that's here on earth, or we would be very clear that we're Mm -hmm. completely different. I think saying that there's no similarities or we can't talk about something that happens in nature and we separate ourselves from nature, I think that's also the reason why we have a lot of problems we have, is we have said we're not part of nature. We're supernatural in a way humans aren't a part of this fabric we don't need it and that's why we treat it like that's why we have a lot of problems we have because we don't act like we are actually a part of creation as you would or existence as i would say (laughs) we're all in this together all us organisms are in this together we're competing but we still need each other um and sort of the thoughts and these kind of arguments Mm -hmm. as humans this helps this is good
0: No, I, I, yeah, we're, we are a community of people. Clearly we need, we need one another. Of course, I'm going to say, that. I believe that's by design. Right. And, right. Uh, and I think that the, air, the area that I was uh, questioning on is we ultimately had to ask that question about like morality. Like where, where did I even get this concept of morality in general? Where do my parents get it from? Where did their parents get it from? We could tra- trace it back. We don't want to go to infinite regress, but the point about questioning, Morality, or where it came from, is we can't have an infinite regress. There, without a moral lawgiver, we couldn't have the conception. I would say of right and wrong, and I think that that points towards a moral lawgiver. Now, that's like I said, that's that. This is just one of the proofs for the that's, existence of God. That's big but,
1: thought. I, I mean, I love that. I do. I do. I, but my, my. So I would say you were saying we can't have that, and I'm saying. You're assuming we couldn't develop that over many, many tens of thousands of years because we've changed as we've progressed through many different layers of civilization, culture, religion, Mm -hmm. physical changes, environmental changes. People have come to understand, how do I live in this small people group without murdering everybody in it? Well, there's been lots of different takes on religion and (laughs) and, 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 and teaching because... A lot of these things did grow out of, hmm, Zerk, rape girl, me angry. I kill Zerk. Someone goes, hey, guys, we know we killed Zerk, but we don't want to do that every time someone does something wrong. But this is good, bad. That was bad. Made him angry. He killed. That's not good for the group. I don't see why, like, that over 50,000 years doesn't get you to all the different levels of morality in all the different societies that are kind (laughs) of similar. I mean, that
0: sociology,
1: all those would kind of say, that's how that
0: develops. You know, there are certainly overlaps within within cultures and within world religions, you know, the golden rule and basic principles that they all all adhere to. Now, when we try to analyze like a morality, what is right, what is wrong? Like if we take that, depending on the lens that we're putting on, right, you're saying over 50,000 years. Okay, we'll run with that. So is that 50,000 years though, is that, under the lens that there is a God or is that under the, are we viewing that through the lens of not being a God? Because it without, I I was trying, well, you, you presented it to me. So I figured, okay. So the reason
1: there was a God that said, I'm going to develop these humans in this way. I feel like I grew up under the understanding. There was a very long history to the universe Mm -hmm. and to the earth. So,
0: okay, same here. I really
1: have not changed that thought process, especially because I went to college and got classes in you know, geology, geography, morphology, you know, a lot of different things that in histories that made me think, oh, this is fairly common knowledge. And it makes a lot of sense for me, mixed with the time when I was, you know, trying to understand faith and religion and things like that. It's like one but, can't happen without the other.
0: There's a reason I asked. So if we take this, like understanding of development of thought or development of morality from a start humanistic standpoint, like no God. And we try to say, OK, we've arrived at being better people. Right. The I didn't problem say is, that. Or say, we've I learned to develop better, to live. Right.
1: Better. see, And I, I
0: don't. Or or we've understand. We've
1: I think I I think we come to different understandings over time that do or don't serve the interest of the whole or the individual, mm-hmm. you know, maybe better, maybe worse depending on the time and history, but I don't know good or bad or you know being the best system <laughs> or anything like okay.
0: that. So, so we've come to better understandings. So I was taking it from two stands. If we, if we say it's like a start humanist standpoint, we're never, we're down to the individual and individuals morality is down to it, the individual, then what one person says versus the other person should have no bearing. It ultimately lands in relativism. That could be true for this person, not for this person. And why should your truth supersede mine if there's no one governing these laws and principles as a whole? So I'm thinking big picture, not narrow like, scope.
1: Uh, you wanted to follow that out. I get it. I yeah. Think so I that, that was just
0: that. teasing that out. Yeah. So as far as a whole, though, I think that the reason we see cultures developing different principles to live under is because like a historic Christian stance answer to that would be that there's a, there's a God who has stamped the image of God on people to give them an understanding and comprehension of certain aspects of life that are right, that are wrong. Whether they encounter anybody at all, even if they live on an island on their on their own, they're still in the image of God. This is this teaching. I think is actually goes directly against a myriad of like problems that we have in our culture, like systemic racism. I think at the core, this this teaching nails against it. It shows worth, value, dignity. That's what it teaches in each person that they're given that, and in debt, Or we could say, you know, go back to the Declaration of Independence. They're endowed that. So. Thoughts? I'll pause there.
1: Well, I I don't know that for me, I feel like there is an absolute one is better than the other or that we've necessarily gotten to, oh, this is better. I think if you look at the progression through time, I would rather be alive today where I'm alive today than many other times in history So I think humans change and progress in their technological capabilities, their thought processes. Morality, that's, boy, it's so, it is, it progresses, I think. I think some things become, you know, you would say progressive might be a bad word. I would say, I'm not talking about, oh, we need to get away from traditional values, but those things have changed in the last couple of thousand years enough to where, my family hopefully would not all be put to the stake for whatever they think or feel or believe, at least in this country at the moment. Another four years I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't know that it's gonna be better in ten or fifty years. I think that's that becomes cyclical with this weird things humans do where they go, We gotta be like this and then they dive down. They'd be like this. It's like the stock market. I don't know what the difference is between, you know, the morality discussion versus human thought and logic and them intersecting. I feel personally like I don't have the right to tell somebody else that what they believe is wrong all the time, but I also don't feel like I know what's right all the time and I don't feel like any religion can tell me you do the things you do, and you it's inescapable because God has made these truths so, and you either live by them, and you'll be okay at the end, or you don't live by them, and you won't be okay at the end. That's what I felt like I was getting a lot from religion mm-hmm. um, towards the end of my career with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um,
0: so one thing I- I'd like to... Just piggyback on some of this, that we live in a world where the one view is that, you know, re- religious zealots are stamping these things on somebody and they're pushing their agenda. But I want to point out that even if we take a step away from that and we say, OK, let's extract ourselves from the religious zealots and let's look at the far left. And let's look at the extreme right. And let's look at both sides. Well, guess what? Both of those sides, we could say non-religious people, have an agenda. So there's are annoying. No, 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 they're
1: they're,
0: they're, annoying. Yeah, there's no neutral ground here in the sense <laughs> they're both annoying. Yeah. There's no neutral ground. So ultimately everybody has an agenda, whether they're willing to recognize it or not, and what is I mean, I guess ultimately we're talking about like uh, like morals, like right and wrong, what is the better good of society? So we kinda veer off we're off a little bit in the area of, of law. But but I think that the conversation as a whole is just, I think, an evidence towards a lawgiver. Thanks everyone for joining us today on this conversation on Questioning Christianity with Bill and I. Hope you've enjoyed it, and please stay tuned for a part two. Bill and I are going to pick up exactly where we left off. This is Mike Parks signing off at Intersecting Ideas.